Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all and that intro music little separate ways get me all fired up about the big show tonight at the coast coliseum it's toto and then journey Woo-hoo! looking forward to that it's going to be a big old time. We're going to have it. And uh, it's also a Friday. We are wrapping up what has been a, a rather long uh, but eventful week. And speaking of events, could any more happen in one day? Yesterday, it was a bunch, wasn't it? Man, I um, had the honor and privilege of traveling up to Starkville, Mississippi State University, to address the MSU College Republicans. I appreciate that opportunity. Shout out to Hunter Yelverton, the president of the MSU College Republicans. He was kind enough to invite me to come address the group. I enjoyed that. I took some photos there, Rhino, um, with some, let's say, notable (laughs) MSU landmarks and signage in the background just to share with some of my buddies and uh, one of my good friends that I shared it with, some of my golf guys, many of whom, of course, are big MSU alums. One of them, my friend Tommy Miskelly, he may be listening. <laughs> I sent a photo of uh, me there in front of Doobie, uh, Duty Noble Field with thunder and lightning, the statues there, you know, at the main entrance. <laughs> I sent that to him. My buddy Tommy Miskelly says, Who would have dreamed G found the promised land after wandering around in Egypt? I mean, Oxford for all those years. <laughs> uh, no, I had a good time up there. Uh, everybody always so nice. And, you know, the message was simple that I tried to deliver to these uh, college students that that I'm very proud of just being engaged in the political process. We need more of that. More of that. And I know they're at the stage of life where they're perhaps not so concerned about that. What's the old saying? If you don't find politics, it'll find you. I think that's what what the saying says. And uh, the message, really, that I delivered was one about just contrasting philosophy between 
conservatives, conservatism, and leftist ideology. And I kind of summarized it as follows. Excellence over victimhood. Free markets over central planning. Meritocracy over equal outcomes. Objective truth. You wouldn't even think you'd have to point this out anymore, but it's true. Objective truth over plan relativism. Individual thought over identity politics. Nuclear family over government. (laughs) The nuclear family is better at decision-making than the damn government is. Rule of law, this is the way I put it, over excused crime. Because think about how upside down our society is. And I know I'm getting a little philosophical here, but in the, in the, uh, the wake of talking to young Americans, so critical, we get them engaged. In, and, of course, you've got an audience there of college Republicans that uh, they align with your views and positions. That's why they're part of that group. But think about how upside down things are, where... Free speech is deemed violence. And violence is excused as free speech. It's true. And somehow also silence is violence. That's absolutely true. And so it's, it's so if just, you say something they don't dis- they don't agree with, it's violence. If you don't say anything at all, it's violence. But if it's violence, <laughs> it's not violence. That's so true. So, you know, many, many times in the program, going back to when I first started doing this, I, I just had this thought that, how in the world are we ever going to achieve any sort of congruence and consensus on crafting complex policy? We can't agree on how many genders there are. We don't agree on a lot. We don't. This idea of binary objective truth, you know, pass-fail, win-lose, we don't have that anymore. It's been replaced with this nonsense. Think no further than a couple of months ago. The presidents of three august universities. Well, it depends on the context. That's what you hear over and over again. I'm so sick of that. No, it doesn't. And hats off to New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who, by the way, I think would be an excellent choice for vice president as Donald Trump's running mate. Remember, she said, no, it doesn't depend on context. (laughs) That's just great. Uh, Much respect for her for taking on President Claudine Gay, former President Claudine Gay of Harvard. Who's still pulling in $900,000 Is that not just being a professor, right? Despite her blatant uh, plagiarism. Flagrant plagiarism is what it was. But yesterday, we witnessed... A commander-in-chief. Now, I'm looking for the folks, Rhino, that always send us texts on the ceasefire text line that anytime I say anything remotely critical about the current president, they just go crazy and send in about a thousand Donald Trump whataboutisms. Do they not? <laughs> That's what happens. So how could anyone not have witnessed what we did yesterday with respect to the current president, Joe Biden? and not be concerned and not realize with 
with their their human senses of eyes and ears and not conclude this guy's not fit to be the president. And it's not personal. It's just reality. So special counsel notes in a very detailed report, this would be Robert Herr, his report on Mr. Biden's mishandling of classified documents. This was released yesterday. We had we had learned right earlier in the week that that uh, the the investigation had been concluded, and that we were awaiting the report. And and this was about, of course, his retention of classified documents. And this is what he said in his interview with our office. Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. When when did I stop being vice president? It was like a question, he asked. And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began as vice president. Now, that wasn't all that long ago, 2009. Unbelievable. He did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died, is what the report states. And his memory appeared hazy when describing the Afghanistan debate that was once so important to him. Among other things, he mistakenly said he had a real difference of opinion with General Carl Elkenberry, Eikenberry, pardon me, when in fact Eikenberry was an ally whom Mr. Biden cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo to President Biden. Uh, Biden, Obama, pardon me. So he basically announced, did the special prosecutor, that Mr. Biden will not face charges. He said he did uncover evidence that, and I'm quoting, Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. These materials were marked classified documents about military. Have you seen the photos of the boxes? Do they not look shockingly the same as the boxes that Mr. Trump has at Mar-a-Lago? Well, it's because they're document boxes. Right. So are we looking at a potential double standard here? No. (laughs) Say it ain't so. There's no way in anyone's right, fair, reasonable mind... They could apply the law differently here. If you found that Mr. Biden didn't commit any crimes there with respect to classified documents, then you certainly cannot find that Mr. Trump did. You, you simply can't do it. He said uh, that the evidence, quote, does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the findings. But he made some other rather shocking comments just about his mental acuity and his memory. We'll get to that on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well studio. We've got Janita Stewart, District Director, Mississippi District Office of the Small Business Administration at 1035. And then the multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, Kelly Bennett at 1120. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio. Just getting started. Coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
That's it. Toto, Africa. Where they come up with that? It's not something you'd expect in a rock and roll song. But it's awesome, though. Well, it's, it's also not geographically accurate. Why is that? I forget the exact line, but they mention landmarks, and that they're nowhere near each other. Serengeti? Africa's a big continent. <laughs> it is. Uh, Serengeti, I think that's mentioned in this Mount part Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro, yeah. Interesting. So, back to this report from Special Prosecutor Robert Herr. He said in the report, Mr. Herr, we have also considered that at trial, this is the decision essentially not to require the president to stand for trial on the basis of hoarding classified documents. We have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory based on our direct interactions with and observations of him he is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. So let me get this straight. You're not mentally fit to stand for a trial, for a felony. But you can be the commander-in-chief and have the nuclear codes? I'm not following that logic. So I know I've said on this program that I was convinced that he was going to ultimately still be the nominee. I'm uh, I'm reducing that probability in my head now. And But here's what I think standing in the way. I think privately, Democrats know this is a disaster. Yesterday was probably the worst day in the history of his presidency uh, vis-a-vis running for re-election. It, the time frame is a problem, first of all, because the election ain't that far off. And the convention isn't that far off when they select a nominee. And this is going to continue to play out, and then in a minute we'll get to him conducting a an impromptu press conference yesterday where he just exacerbated it and actually proved even more empirically. So I say again, Rhino, where are the people that always jump on us? Because I even talk about this. And this is another situation where, remember what I said I shared with the kids? I call them kids. The college students are kids to me at uh, Mississippi State last night. That objective truth exceeds subjective relativism. That's what's going on here. The people, I believe, that always let us know that we're, we just hate Joe Biden and we're jumping on him. That's exactly what's happening. They refuse to accept objective truth reality. This is just reality. This is not a once-every-now-and-then gaffe. This is a series of them in the last week, including a special prosecutor who was prosecuted by his, I mean, uh, uh, selected by his DOJ, who comes out and says, 
This guy's not fit to stand trial. But yet we're to believe, as the media, by the way, the left-wing media, one of them said, he rides a bike every day. <laughs> I think that was the race lady that said that over there at NBC. Said, oh, yeah, he rides a, <laughs> he rides a bike every day. I got to look that up. Somebody absolutely did say that. Uh, that that uh, yeah, it's, it's Rachel Maddow. I knew somebody uh, at MSNBC. He says um, Biden isn't too old for the presidency because he rides a bike. <laughs> Pay no attention to the fact that he just made a little mistake with respect to the border. Oh my gosh, you probably saw this. He got a little confused about the border of Mexico and the border of Egypt. You got some sound there? The conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially... President of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. Sisi? He's Sisi's not even... the president of Egypt. Correct. Not Mexico. <laughs> I mean, that's just sad. Even the folks over at CNN that comes on the heels of two separate occasions where he talked about recently talking to dead politicians from around the world. Such as, such as former president of France, Francois Mitterrand. Who died in 1996. And I believe he confused uh, President Angela Merkel, uh, pre- the, uh, the present president of uh, Germany. I believe he got that confused as well, did he not? With the former, uh, that I saw that as well. So I can't remember the name, helmet, something or another. But I don't know that it matters at this point. It, it's just a, it's a problem. And um, the clearly the report from yeah helmet call. The report from the special prosecutor paints a picture of someone who's just not mentally fit to serve as the president. But then this is what happens. He he becomes enraged, and he has this press conference. And he just is apoplectic and snappy and rude to uh, the reporters. The, and it's the White House press corps, by the way. These are the people that are at all the briefings, all the meetings. These are the people selected and allowed to participate by the White House, selected by their news organizations to cover. Same people. It's not anybody he doesn't know in that audience. And he starts sparring with them. He gets a question from Fox News, Peter Ducey. You probably you've probably seen that by now. And he tells Peter Ducey, the Fox News correspondent, after being asked about the the uh, special prosecutor uh, questioning his memory in his report and noting that he had a poor memory. And Biden says, my memory is so bad I'll let you speak. 
<laughs> that was his response. He got testy with the reporters again. And, I mean, I guess they thought maybe this would reflect some signs of energy just because he's out there conducting a press conference, but that's not what happened. He he looked, again, confused, and uh, he spoke gaffes. And he, he started listing off his legislative accomplishments. Now, he wasn't happy with a special counsel that said he couldn't remember when his son Bo died. He says, how in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked a question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. And he continued to grouse. He says, I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away. This is just sad. I mean, it really is. you got to feel for anybody who, who loses a loved one, especially a child. But, man, and again, I feel like you sort of have to blame those who insisted he take on this office. They're the ones. But back to my thoughts on whether or not he'll be the nominee. I would say that the chances of that certainly de- declined somewhat yesterday. I think privately Democrats know this is a disaster, and they and they want somebody else. Here's their problem, Rhino. We've talked about this a lot, how you try to sell your soul, and you try to appease everybody, and you try to toe this leftist line, you get in trouble. Here's the deal. If he steps aside and does not endorse Kamala Harris, who is even a bigger disaster for president to succeed him, that's a problem. So this identity politics crap they play all the time is now causing a problem for them. It is a hindrance to their agenda because they know, oh gosh, she can't win. But if they endorse somebody else, all hell will break loose. I really do believe that. It wouldn't surprise me if we wouldn't see riots along the lines of what we saw in 2020. We are stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. It's Janita Stewart, District Director of the Mississippi District Office of the Small Business Administration, next. Stay with us. From the Zebra Paint Act, Middays with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays from the Element Well Studio. We welcome to the program now Janita Stewart, District Director, Mississippi District Office of the Small Business Administration, also commonly known as the SBA. Janita, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Gerard. Appreciate the invitation. You bet. So uh, I think a lot of folks probably are just interested in knowing exactly what does the small administration do. Okay, good. Thank you for asking. Uh, Hey, the SBA is a small independent federal government agency, and uh, it was created to really help people get into business, grow, and expand. And 
Another very critical part of what SBA's mission is, is providing disaster recovery assistance to, you know, to businesses and individuals, to homeowners and renters and nonprofits to help them recover uh, from federally declared disasters. And, you know, we know we've all been, been through many disasters, flooding, hurricanes, so forth, the pandemic, and on and on. And uh, so that's, that's a critical part of what the SBA does as well. And, by the way, the agency was created back in 1953, and just last year in July, we celebrated the 70th anniversary of the SBA. So SBA has been around for 70 long years, hmm. you know, helping people and helping businesses, and, and the agency is still growing, uh, going strong. With uh, respect to the, the, first, the first word in the name of the agency, small, define mm-hmm. small business force. Okay. Yeah, a, a small, the general definition of a small business is one that is independently owned and operated. It is not dominant in its field of operation or the industry that's it, that it's in, meaning it's not a monopoly. And together with any of its affiliated companies or subsidiaries, if it has any, it doesn't exceed a specific small business size standard for that business industry. So the SBA has a long list of, of industry size standards, and that information can be found at sba.gov. But they're basically either revenue-based or employee-based, and that just, dep- you know, just depends upon the industry. But suffice it to say, 99-plus percent of all businesses in Mississippi are considered small in accordance with SBA's uh, uh, size standards. And, and we really parallel the nation because 99.9% of all businesses in the nation are considered small. So in other words, there are very few Chevrons and English ship buildings and continental tires mm-hmm. of the world. Again, most businesses do qualify as small. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the uh, historically underutilized business zone program, also known as the hub zone program. Why is that important mm-hmm. to Mississippi, uh, Janita? So, isn't and, and thank you for say, uh, spelling that out because that is the acronym, you know, hub zone. It, it does stand for historically underutilized business zone. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's a federal program that's it's a certification and contracting program that's really geographic based. So, in general terms, the hub zone is really an economically distressed area, and that's kind of based upon certain income and employment data that meet, you know, that meets, you know, like one of three criteria. Either it's kind of based on the median household income, and that data comes from the Census Bureau there, or the unemployment rate that comes from, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. or it can be what's called a difficult development area by HUD, and then now the major disaster de- uh, uh, declared areas and governor's designations are also added. It, you know that could that are eligible uh, hub zone areas. So, it 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 uh, you know it's it's just a good thing for their hub zones all all throughout this state. You know, in non metropolitan or rural counties and census tracts, and of course the nation as well. But it, it's really to drive economic development and to really bring up an area that that needs some assistance. That's that's kind of really why the hub zone program is important. And, and just to clarify, you you indicated that uh, state governors. Uh, they designate mm-hmm. these zones based on these various statistical financial criteria. Is that right? That's correct. So just a little background on this. At the end of 2022, Governor Reeves did petition our SBA administrator, and he requested 32 areas, you know, rural areas in the state to be governor-designated hub zones. And uh, so the opportunity for gov- governor-designated areas was part really of an effort to enhance the program a few years ago. And by the way, 
Mississippi was one of the first states in the nation to petition our administrator and was successful in getting the request approved last hmm. year. So Governor Reeves and our SBA Regional Administrator, Alan Thomas, and he oversees the SBA Southeast region, you know, which kind of makes up Alabama, Georgia, Florida, North and South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, and of course the great state of Mississippi. They made an announcement about this program. And I wanted to point out that, you know, 17 of those 32 areas that were approved will really no longer be uh, hub zone eligible after the 24th of this month, which is in a couple mm. of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are 15 areas that remain eligible out of the original 32, and uh, the expiration date on that has been extended to, you know, from February 24th of this year to 20, uh, same time next year. So now what is now in process is that the governor's office has submitted a petition to SBA for approval for additional areas for this year. And so once our hub zone program office in Washington, D.C. reviews and processes a request, you know, it's anticipated that additional areas in our state will be added to what all we're, you know, what we currently already have as designated hub zones. Okay, so um, so we know that the governor has uh, has the purview, I guess, over just designating these mm-hmm. zones. All right, so now how does an interested small business, how do they engage with the SBA if they're interested in this program? Mm-hmm. Okay. So first of all, what, what they would need to do is really to go to sba.gov slash hubzone and look at the map. There's a map there, and they can plug in their address, hmm. and what that will tell them is immediately, you know, whether or not their business is located in a hub zone or not. Now, if their business is located in a hub zone, it would behoove them to take the next step. Mm-hmm. which means, you know, make sure that they're small, a small business. And like I told you a moment ago, you know, just about all businesses in Mississippi are considered small anyway. And um, But that small business has to be at least 51% owned and controlled by U.S. citizens. Now, other, other groups that may qualify as hub zones are community development corporations, uh, agricultural co- uh, cooperative, the uh, Alaska, Alaska Native Corporation, Native Hawaiian Organization, you know, Indian tribes, those are other groups that may qualify as hub zones, as uh, hub zone businesses as well. So the principal office needs to be located in the hub zone so they can determine that by going to the map. Plug in their address, and it'll say yay or nay. If yay, then proceed to the next step. Make sure they're a small business. And 35% of their employees, if they if they have any, and I know there are some, you know, some businesses that don't have employees. It's just the owner. Uh, but anyway, 35% of the employees have to reside in a hub zone. doesn't have to be that one mm-hmm. that the business is located, just a hub zone. And then they need to make sure that they are ready to do business with the federal government, which means they need to be registered in this this database called SAM, System for Award Management, and they can get to that by by SAM.gov. Now, I want to say this, that, you know, there have been scams going on with SAM Mm -hmm. because, you know, there there were earlier on, I'm hoping that has now gone away, but U.S. General Services Administration, they manage this particular database, but anybody who wants to do business with the federal government, they need to register their profile in SAM. So it's free to do it because they're the scams that were out there before. We're charging people and taking their money and getting their information, so make sure you go to www.sam.gov. It's clear up there, and it does say it's you know it's it's free of charge. So uh, after after they do that, set their profile up in SAM. They then can go back to the SBA's uh, HubZone website at HubZone.gov, SBA.HubZone. I'm sorry, sba.gov slash hubzone, mm-hmm. go to uh, set up an SBA Connect account. It'll direct them to do that. 
you know, access the HUBZone portal, make application there. Of course, everything is electronic. It'll, you'll be prompted to submit your financial data, other documentation, so forth and so on. And, you know, just, uh, Gerard, there, there are 66 firms hmm. in Mississippi that are HUBZone certified. So, you know, they're participating right now. However, we do know that there are more out there that reside in the HUBZone, that they are small business, they meet the criteria, but they haven't applied. So they're missing out on, on contract opportunities. And I'd like to share results because during federal fiscal year 2023, $114 million of, was expended in HUBZone contract opportunities in our state with the HUBZone firms in Mississippi. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, opportunity. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, briefly the benefits available. Are we, t- are we talking about like just capital for f- financing uh, normal mm-hmm. business activities? So it, it has to do with contracts first. Okay. What I wanted to say was, yeah, was there, there's like a goal, a 3% statutory goal for this particular program, for the Hub Zone program. Gotcha. I mean, this is established by law. So federal aid, federal government agencies that, you know, do, you know, that, that have to buy goods and services, you know, they expend lots and lots of money because the federal government is the largest buyer of goods and services worldwide to about $500 billion annually. And so this 3% established goal for Hub Zone, you know, um, where these federal buying agencies should be making good faith efforts to meet, uh, that makes way for very substantial contracting opportunities sure. for hubs on firms. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, Got it. Okay. And some other... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so you know the the you know contract opportunities they they can they can be put in the mix for uh, sole source contracts or or competitive contracts on the hubs you know as far as hubs on the concern they also can get a ten percent price evaluation preference if they're competing for a contract opportunity in full and open competition which means it's wide open for small businesses and large businesses to compete as well so they they gotcha. get a price preference yeah so the so main thing is federal government needs a lot of goods and services and it's out there waiting for mm-hmm. them if folks just get in this program mm-hmm. all right janita we mm-hmm. certainly appreciate you coming on and uh informing us about uh, the hub zone program and the big thing is we got a deadline coming up and the governor's increased mm-hmm. it thanks a lot okay thank you so much Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, the Big Journey Show tonight. Mississippi Coast Coliseum, Biloxi, kicking off Freedom 2024 Tour. <laughs> Looking forward to it. So, uh, yesterday we were also talking about the other big event of the day is, is while uh, President Joe Biden, I would submit, had a bad day, President Trump, on the other hand, had a pretty good day. I'd be shocked if we don't get a 9-0 ruling from the Supreme Court on this case brought before it concerning his removal from the ballot in the state of Colorado. Some voters sued to have him removed, felt like that he had, he had engaged in insurrection, 
and that uh, by invoking Section 3, I believe it is, of the 14th Amendment, he should be removed. The problem, as we pointed out yesterday, Rhino, is that the standard as enumerated in the Constitution is engaged. And to me, that's a subjective standard. doesn't say convicted. Now, it's reasonable to say, I think, rational. Hey, he hadn't been convicted of that, but yet you still pulled him off the ballot. And so they just arbitrarily can say, oh, but he engaged in it. Well, based on what? So well, that's where you get into the, the wonky bit of the Supreme Court, because it, it takes a little bit of work to wrap your head around what they do compared to every other court in the system. Every other court in the system is looking at a scale. And I know I'm overgeneralizing, and I know there's a lot more to it, but just bear with me here. You're trying to figure out one side versus the other and make it clear cut. With the Supreme Court, they're also trying to decide who's right, but they're also adding on the layer of they set precedents that get used in every court below them. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, Justice Samuel Alito, he he actually alluded to that concept somewhat. In fact, he asked a question of uh, the six Colorado voters who brought this case, the the lawyer for them. He asked a question, uh, Mr. Murray. I can't remember his first name. I just remember Mr. Murray. He said, would we have to determine appropriate rule of of evidence, standard of proof, would we give any deference to these state court judges, some of whom are elected? Would we have to have our own trial? I mean, that's that's a good point. And uh, Murray answered no. He said, but the court could do an independent review of Colorado's record. So Alito, Justice Alito said, well, what would happen if two sets of decisions and records from the, like the courts were presented before the court? And the attorney, Mr. Murray, for the plaintiffs, couldn't answer. Didn't seem to be thinking about that question coming up. Wasn't prepared, obviously, to ask that. So, and yeah, the Chief Justice actually had to get on to him and basically tell him, look, answer the question. I'm not going to tell you again, even yeah. if the answer is, I don't know. Yeah, because they, they wait. I mean, generally, they don't, they don't proceed on the basis of silence, in, in my experience. I'm not a lawyer in that respect, but that's normally what I've seen. The justice said that he was trying to invite Mr. Murray to, quote, grapple with the consequences of the argument you're advancing and the potential unmanageable situation, which I think is to your point there, that would arise. Mr. Murray again asked the court to write an opinion affirming the Colorado court's finding that President Trump engaged in insurrection. So that's that subjective application, subjective finding in the in the court, I think, rightfully so, hesitates, is reluctant to do so. Because I guess that would sort of set a a case precedent, a standard for insurrection. I mean, that doesn't come up every day, obviously. So not like you've got just a large number of cases to rely on that. And Justice Brett Kavanaugh said something I think we've pointed out on the program. What about democracy, the right of the people to elect the candidate of their choice? He, he suggested that to uh, the counselor, Mr. Murray. 
that his position could disenfranchise a great number of voters. Well, of course it could. It removes a candidate they want to vote for from the ballot. He said, well, Section 3 is intended, this is the lawyer uh, for the plaintiffs, the voters who want Trump off the ballot. He said Section 3 was intended to protect democracy, such as through preventing President Trump. That's just upside down right there, man. So you're basically saying, no, we can't let the voters make that choice. we got to do it for them. That's just what aggravates people, and I don't think they get that. And uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, said, it just doesn't seem like a state call. You just can't say, you're off the ballot. Yeah, that pretty much torpedoed the deal. Well, we're going to take a break right here. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. Don't forget, in the next hour, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studio on this Friday. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and and guarantees. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with actor and comedian Jackie Flynn, who stars in the series Louder Milk, which currently is a top five most watch show on Netflix. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is, of course, presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is superior catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. So, the special counsel expressed serious concerns about Mr. Biden's age, his cognition, and his memory. And then, Mr. Biden, the White House essentially scrambles around. we got to get him out there and prove that's all wrong. And all they did is prove he's right. Where he conflated all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, just was confused. Just looked feeble. I mean, it's, it's sad. The man is going on 82. We hope we all live to that age, honestly, and beyond. And at that point, yeah. You start to experience some decline. It's just nature. And he said, look, my memory has not gotten, uh, my memory is fine. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the, the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Well, what is he talking about exactly? Whoever said, no, we don't think you can pass what, you're, what you say you're going to pass. 
Nobody was confused. You get the numbers aligned in the Congress, you can pass a lot of stuff. I don't remember anybody saying, no, you can't do that. And I I guess he was trying to point out that that wouldn't be possible if he personified the description that was drafted in that very lengthy report by special counsel, Robert Hur. Hmm. He... uh, of course, during the address, he he spoke without a teleprompter, and it was kind of clear. But the press corps, I don't know if you guys watched it. I caught it late yesterday. Man, they were yelling at him. I've never seen them like that. I mean, and I guess you would think, hey, the President of the United States just really um, it, it just got a scathing report from special counsel here. And he got furious. He fired back. And I don't think it helped the situation. I think it hurt it, honestly. There is um, the rumblings that there was a private meeting, as you can imagine, with House Democrats at their policy retreat earlier that day in Virginia. And he said he grew animated when asked how he was doing. And that's because of this report that was released. Quote, how the F could I forget the day my son died? This is in this meeting with House leaders. Of course I remember everything he said, according to two people with knowledge of his remarks, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe a closed-door conversation. He said the charges weren't merited. And um, he even cited a couple of page numbers to kind of support his assertion. So I just wasn't a good day. I just wonder if there are going to be any charges pressed against his ghostwriter. Because also in the report, they acknowledge that his ghostwriter for his book deleted audio recordings of his interviews that could have been evidentiary. Saw that. Yeah, I I don't know, but I got to tell you, if at this point the charges against President Trump aren't dropped, for the storage of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, then we got a banana republic. And, and I, here's my feeling on it. If it's against the law, and it, and there truly is a risk of harm, and, and uh, some, some um, high-level security concerns as a result of having those classified documents outside of where they should be, like in a house, a Corvette, or a residence in Florida, you know, I stand on the side of the law. I don't care who the person is. But if you let one person off, in this case, President Biden, I said earlier, I was just shocked on, hey, these boxes look identical here. So it's not like you can say, I I think, well, yeah, we've determined these are classified documents. Well, it looks to me like they probably are in both cases. But if you inconsistently apply the standard of the law, that's a problem. That's No, I can't stand for that. No, no reasonable person could. But you're essentially allowing one to walk. You're not going to press f- further. you got to do the same for the other. Anything less than that is, uh, is a double standard, which we already know is going on. But you're proving it. And so every time the Democrats 
um, uh, get all worked up about that, start screaming about it. He's got classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, and then they always dismiss those that Biden took when he was vice president, of course. that That's a double standard. That doesn't fly. But uh, I guess... Probably what's more important now, from a strictly from a political and an election perspective, is this report by an independent third party that comes out. This this guy has got he's an elderly person with a weak memory. I mean that that's a problem when somebody puts that down in writing in an official report, a special counsel, mind you, and goes on and on about other critical details in the man's past that he couldn't seem to recall. That's a big old problem. Uh, And I, I think folks are taking note. But again, I say, okay, they want him to step aside, and if they don't immediately throw their weight behind the vice president, Kamala Harris, I just believe all hell breaks loose. And I think they're trying to calculate that right now. How do we deal with this? I know there's lots of theories that Michelle Obama's going to parachute in, and maybe so. Others are waiting in the wings. But, man, if they just put Kamala out to pastures, as the saying goes, and just kind of abandon her, throw their weight behind a Gavin Newsom, a Michelle Obama, I don't know. I, I would say that that would not bode well. Uh, for the Democrats in the presidential election. And remember, who who you're trying to, to capture here from a vote perspective are those squishy independents in about 15 counties. That's where the election is won and lost. It's not that the so-called card-carrying loyal Democrats would say, okay, I'm going to go vote for Donald Trump. No, that's not going to happen. No matter who, it's got the D. They're going to vote. Not that it's not the same in the Republican side, but that's not where the elections won and lost. It's with those people that could go either way, and in particular, uh, those that um, really aren't loyal to any particular party that happen to reside in the four or five swing states, and in the few counties in those four or five swing states, it typically determines the outcome of a presidential election. That's what's at stake here. And they've got to calculate that, figure where that leaves them. The um, even in, on CNN, they they exhibited some concern, but one of them, uh, Miss Lee, MJ Lee, a senior White House correspondent, said. So I look at at uh, I look at this as a president who clearly wanted to get out of there, show his sort of fighting side to him. She's one of the ones I believe, Rhino, you can see in the in the uh, the video that's up front in the press corps that's really trying to get a question in. I mean, screaming. You know how they get animated and hands are up in the air and they got their pad. And like, Mr. President, Mr. President. She's one of them. And she says, we know in conversations we've had with Biden advisors, people who know him really well, they think he does well in setting. So, I mean, she's she's kind of stumping for him here. They think he does well in setting when he's sort of shouting in settings, sort of fighting back at questions, fighting back at concerns. So, 
they felt like this was an opportunity to show his fighting spirit, the fighting side of him. They do? He showed his disrespect and rudeness is what he showed. Oh, that's a great tune there by the great Toto. They're going to be performing tonight at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum along with Journey. Coming right back in the Element Well studio, it's Kelly Bennett. Stay with us. Juniker Jewelry Company, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Rolling, hit it, go, play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We're live in the Element Wealth Studio. We thank you so much for joining us on this Friday, y'all, as Rhino says. And the best part about this day is that we got Toto and Journey in the Mississippi Coast Coliseum, if you haven't noticed. I'm pretty excited about that tonight. But we welcome uh, to the program, of course, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Friday, guys. All right, Kelly. What's going on down there on the coast? There's a lot going on. Of course, it's Super Bowl weekend. You've got the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs facing off against the San Francisco 49ers Sunday. Super Talk Mississippi Sports Director Dixon Williams filled us in on those with Mississippi ties. There are former Mississippi State stars Chris Jones and Willie Gay Jr. for the Chiefs, along with Horn Lake native Darius Harris, who will also be playing for the Chiefs. Wow. And on the other side of the ball, on the 49ers, Charvarius Ward, who was a Macomb, Mississippi native, and Daryl Luter Jr., who was a Hattiesburg, Mississippi native and played at Oak Grove, they will be on the 49ers squad. And, of course, Brad Freeman will be among the referees and officials in that game. He's from Oxford. I love how he even got the ref in there. By the way, (laughs) the Chiefs last met with the 49ers in 2019, and the Chiefs came out victorious in that one by a score of 31 to 20, just in in case you're placing bets. And I think it's going to be a record-setting betting weekend for the Super Bowl. So Yeah, and and I've seen some reports that, the uh, the viewing audience is expected to break a record as well. They think they're going to attract uh, lots of folks that normally would not watch the Super Bowl to tune into a football game, but they're interested in the Taylor Swift drama. <laughs> they're going to be yes. tuning in. <laughs> and See if of course, she shows up or not. Do you have a team? Are you rooting for either in particular? Uh, probably the 49ers. 49ers? Yeah, I think so. Going How about with you? the underdog? No, yeah. I usually go for the underdog. Okay, I hope, it's, I hope it's an entertaining, close game. You know, when they get out of hand and and they just don't, they're not competitive, they're not fun. True. I True. hope that's not the case. Uh, while we're on, 
While we're on sports, former Ole Miss and San Francisco 49er linebacker Patrick Willis headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He got the nod Thursday night. He played for the Rebels from 2003 to 2006. He was one of the best defensive players during his eight years in the NFL, compiling 950 tackles on the way to seven Pro Bowl selections. So he'll be inducted on August 3rd. Congratulations to P. Willis. He was something special. I certainly enjoyed watching him at Vaught Hemingway during his uh, story career at Ole Miss. And, you know, he he wasn't uh, uh, highly heralded out of high school. He, uh, but good no, grief. I didn't know that. Yeah, somebody missed the boat on that, obviously. He's now going to be in the NFL <laughs> Hall of Fame. So that's pretty cool. Um, all right, While we're us- on sports. Yeah. Opening day for college baseball is a week away from tomorrow, and uh, Teddy Cahill of Baseball America thinks that Ole Miss has a really good chance of bouncing back from an underwhelming 2023. I think I like their chances a little bit more to have a bigger bounce back than, than Mississippi State. They lose Alderman, they lose Gonzalez, so those are two really big pieces that they have to replace. But I like what they brought in. You know, you mentioned Luke Hill got Andrew Fisher like there are there are good offensive pieces there and then the pitching staff last year again not good enough they know that uh it was rather on the younger side though and so you're hoping that the sophomore the now sophomores are taking a step forward this year the rebels are two years removed from a national title they went 25 and 29 last season They'll begin this season February 16th in Hawaii. I don't know how I could focus on playing a game if I were in Hawaii, but <laughs> I'm sure they'll manage. Pretty good time of year to be <laughs> in Hawaii, uh, obviously, so that ought to be good. Let's uh, let's talk about this uh, purple alert legislation that introduced by uh, freshman Representative Clay Manziel, Republican from Clinton. He replaced uh, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. He uh, took that particular seat. Tell us about that. Yeah, we're all familiar with uh, Amber Alerts for Missing Children, and you have Silver Alerts that are put into action when someone over the age of 65 goes missing. And now lawmakers are considering a purple alert. This would be issued for missing individuals with cognitive disabilities like Down syndrome and autism. And other states are already starting to do this. Florida is the only state that's passed a law with a purple alert already in effect. But it looks like Mississippi is is going to join in some other states that are wanting to do this. Yeah. So that is, I believe that's past the House. Is that right? Or has it just been introduced at this point? What's the status of that? You know, I'd have to double check. I think it's just now being introduced, but uh, <laughs> the legislature right. moved fast once it gets into session. So, and uh, you can, by the way, there's a story about this on uh, at supertalk.fm on our website, mm-hmm. and the story indicates that Florida is the only state to have passed a law establishing a purple alert. So that, that's what. So far. Yeah. So this is HB 873. Yeah, it's been referred to House Judd B. Committee, and that's where it'll be considered. So that'll be one we'll certainly uh, keep an eye on. Let's see what else we got going on. Oh, there's this um, prior authorization bill that came out of the the state Senate, I believe. Yeah, there was some action on this. 
There was some action on this bill yesterday, so I wanted to fill you in. So what lawmakers are doing is working on legislation that would basically speed up the process of getting prior authorization for health care treatments from your insurance company. And we had Dr. Stephen Chevalier on earlier this week. He's with the Mississippi Independent Physicians Practice Association. A lot of these issues were taking people weeks to get approved for necessary surgeries, medicines they needed, those kind of things. So we felt like it was time to um, kind of streamline the process, make it much more transparent, and make the time frames reasonable for when uh, we would get these approvals. Yeah, and he told us this is one of the top issues that are facing them in regard to health care. The House amended the Senate's original bill Thursday. So here's what they did. They changed the 24-hour requirement for emergency requests to 48 hours. They also extended the time frame for non-emergency requests from five days to seven. They also removed a physician requirement for initial approval, and now the bill heads back to the Senate. So I'm sure they'll be working on that one today. Huge source of frustration for so many people, um, not only yes. providers in the medical community, but, of course, patients and the anxiety associated with that and just the constant waiting. And so I uh, think this is intended to improve uh, that situation, but we'll see where that. Yeah, and they're also goes. working on uh, they're working on legislation that would allow more small towns across Mississippi to sell wine and liquor. Yeah, that one passed in the House and it heads to the Senate now. Of course, you know we are in the Bible Belt, so a lot of counties have been slow to adopt. Uh, what would we call it? A wet county or alcohol sales? Now, this bill was approved on a ninety-three to twenty-one vote. It would automatically legalize the sale and manufacture of wine and liquor in municipalities with 5,000 or fewer residents inside a dry county. It doesn't change the state's 31 dry counties. Instead, it would just add more municipalities to the list of places where the hard wine or rather hard liquor and wine could be sold. Hard wine. I don't know what that is. But anyway, um, yeah. so that change is possible. <laughs> Well, and and then the cities, if they wanted to reverse that, they would have to uh, do it through a referendum, and I think there's some standards Correct. on that as well. So, but what this would mm-hmm. do is make them automatically wet. So, I guess if a city is presently dry, that they become wet, and if they want to go back to being dry, they have to do it at the ballot box, essentially. Right, and get residents to vote on it. Yeah, so. and there's some standards. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, they're talking about how this really drives tourism and it's good for tourism and people want to have these events in these different dry towns. Yeah. And uh, I guess tourism goes down a little bit when you don't have alcohol available. So this would make it easier. Not a lot of people are talking about this Supreme Court case, state Supreme Court case that involves private versus public school funding. Tell us about that. I think this is kind of a, a COVID era remnant. Yeah, and the ruling is actually expected to be handed down sometime before the end of June. It's in the state Supreme Court. And basically, they're hearing arguments on whether or not public money can be used to pay for infrastructure needs at private schools. Here's the gist of the situation. The Independent Schools Infrastructure Grant Program was enacted in 2022 during the pandemic. It was set up to send $10 million to private schools for water, broadband, and other infrastructure projects. Yeah. Now, this is federal money from the American Rescue Plan. Yep. 
Lawyers or parents for public schools are arguing that public dollars at private schools violates the state constitution. The state says because it's federal money, the constitution isn't being violated. So looks like they found a loophole. We'll see where that goes. Kelly, always good talking to you. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great week. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk Mississippi. I'm just reading here about this MSNBC panel that uh, it's from the show The Beat, I think is the name of the show, primetime show on MSNBC, and how they were rushing to defend uh, President Biden after the bad day he had yesterday. Ari Melber, I think is the, the main anchor who hosts the show all quite liberal, and of course they they have different folks on the program to serve as panelists, and last night it included Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, and of course Joy Reid, the race lady, and um, it's just amazing how I guess it's like they don't see the same thing the rest of the, the world does, reasonable, rational people do. He said, this is this is now being used against him politically. Well, of course it is. What, what did you expect? You guys make a living parsing every word that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth and trying to use that against him for political purposes. Just un- incredible that they have such a, uh, I guess, a hypocritical slant on this. It was Rachel Maddow who said he rides a bike. <laughs> Hayes said he is the age he is. He's actually 81. So, of course, that's useful political attack for them. Honestly, I don't think people would be so concerned about his age if he he truly did exhibit that he possesses all of his faculties. But when it's just you have these constant gaffes and mix-ups, and, and did we have a conversation a few weeks ago about uh, kind of the, the mood swings that he exhibits? And there's something about when you're maybe somebody on the text line that said it's a it's an indication of cognitive de- decline when you become so combative, and then that's what that press conference was yesterday. It was him versus the White House press corps, honestly. It's just not a good thing. So now the Wall Street Journal, by the way, says Biden is in, quote, serious trouble after this report. I agree. So I think this really does call into question whether or not he can survive and go on to be the nominee. And if not, 
How are they going to make that change? I mean, somebody's trying to calculate that right now. And again, I say, if they dump Kamala and they don't just get full-throated behind her, I think it's a problem. They, but they had to have her, right, in 20. Remember, Joe Biden? It will be a black woman. It doesn't matter if they're qualified enough or not. And then, of course, he outfitted his cabinet in the same way. So, it didn't even matter that his own party's voters didn't like her. True. And she polls lower than him, believe it or not. I mean, she's low 30s. That's not a, the way to win a presidential election. What was it, 3% of the votes in the Iowa primary for? Yeah, something like that. Terrible. So I I don't know. It's um, it's going to be a problem. We'll see what happens going forward. Meantime, many uh, are now saying that with respect to Mr. Trump's case that went to the Supreme Court, Molly Hemingway um, with the Federalist, she said that based on her conversations with legal scholars and observers that she would be shocked if we don't see a 9-0 ruling reversing the Colorado uh, decision to remove Mr. Trump from the ballot. She said it could be 7-2, but she doesn't go lower than that. And, and she points out this is after questioning and responses from, quote, legal observers. And, of course, being affiliated with the Federalist, she's got access to lots of folks that are pretty high up and and uh, very proficient scholars of the Constitution and also pay attention a lot and can read the vibes coming from Supreme Court justices. They do that for a living in their body English and their statements and their questions and so forth. Heck, I think even Justice Elena Kagan Certainly no conservative stalwart. She even said, so should we just let that uh, these independent bodies in the states just pick our president? Something to that effect. I mean, she, she saw it for what it was, which is just wrong and, and co- completely politically motivated. So, And I think what you may see coming out of Joe Biden is just more pushing back. I mean, you know, it's got to hurt, man. I mean, when the whole world now sees that a third party has come out and said, you're, what, a sympathetic elderly man with a poor memory or something to that effect, it's not good. You know, when they call you out and say, you can't remember when you were vice president, you can't remember other key aspects of, of um, your life, like when your son died, when you... when you Well, you've seen the excuse that was given by the White House communications director for his lapse in memory during the interview process. You're talking about uh, Karina Jean-Pierre? No, Ben LeBolt, the okay. White House comms director. Okay. Not the press secretary. Not the That's press Karine secretary. Jean- uh, pardon me. Okay, what? The the argument they're using is that the president's interview began the day after the October 7th attack. Huh? So that's why he was he was distracted. He wasn't really oh focusing on it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. So, and, and, you know, sometimes I like to just share on the program... The, the viewpoints and the perspectives from from those that we don't see a whole lot of in, in our state, in Mississippi, but you get outside of Mississippi, and that's where all these kind of leftist 
ideologues. Not that there aren't some in Mississippi, but we're not just awash with them like other parts. So That's why Mississippi's so great. I agree. So there is a um, there's a, a media source. It's called The Advocate. And it it's targeted, it's geared for the LGBTQ community. So I'm on the website right now. I, I caught this just in doing a little research on on uh, the White House press secretary's defense of Mr. Biden's fitness, especially in a little bit of a tense exchange, once again, with Fox News' is Peter Ducey. So looking at the website, the top banner, the menu, in a, in a banner format, LGBTQ plus voices, politics, transgender, I mean, that, those are the categories. So, I mean, you clearly know that's where you are. So this is what they say. This, is, this was their characterization of Corrine Jean-Pierre's little spar with her regular sparring partner, Peter Ducey. They said, she was a badass to Peter Ducey. <laughs> that was there. That's how they saw it. And what happened was when, when Ducey was asking about his mental fitness, and specifically, how are you going to convince three-quarters, this was his question, three-quarters of voters who are worried about his physical and mental health, because that's what the polls show, that he's okay. Even though in Las Vegas, he told a story, you alluded to this earlier, um, recently talking to a French president who died in 1996. And she said, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole with you, sir. And she and he said, why is that a rabbit hole? And you know what her response was? You saw the president in Las Vegas, in California. You've seen the president in South Carolina. You see, you saw him in Michigan. I'll just leave it there. So we're, because he can get on an airplane at his service? The, the most protected, efficient, powerful aircraft on the planet? He can get on that and travel? To a city inside the nation over which he's the president, that somehow proves that he's cognitively fit? I don't even understand what the hell that means. I I mean, that's all you can come up with. It's not like, as you pointed out, uh, Putin, you told me about, that could offer a soliloquy on Russian history without any notes. Yeah, Biden's presser last night was bad in and of itself, but it was only made worse because it it happened just, what, an hour, hour and a half after Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin came out, where Putin, without really any notes, just goes into this long diatribe, almost an alternative history of Russia with 800 years trying to <laughs> lecture Tucker Carlson on the history of Russia and why it is the way it is. Unbelievable. Even if you don't like the guy, at least the the contrast of somebody sitting there doing an interview, not stumbling, not forgetting things he needs to know, versus Biden, who came out to say, my memory's fine. By the way, the Mexican president wouldn't open the border to Gaza. That's scary. It really is. When you think about... Uh, what Putin has his sights set on with respect to this country and the annihilation of it and the overtaking of it. We're coming right back with the final segment in hour two of middays. A whole hour left after that. Stay with us. 
Hey, this is Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. That's from the uh, Raised on Radio album, Be Good to Yourself. We're going to be seeing Journey perform tonight, kicking off the Freedom 2024 tour. You know, I might just have to wear me one of my prized uh, Journey t-shirts in my from my extensive uh, collection. I'm like a groupie. <laughs> I'm an old man groupie. Uh, and I might even buy me uh, some new stuff as well. You think? Well, you gotta. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Down there. I mean, if they're kicking off the tour, that means you're the first Journey fans to get your hands on the tour swag. Dang right. And I tell you what, I'm so proud that they're kicking off the tour in my home state, the great state of Mississippi. You know, I belong to all these various social media groups. <laughs> we Journey junkie. There actually is one called the Journey Junkies, by the way. No uh, surprise. Bunch of old fogies like me <laughs> that uh, love the music. And, uh, of course, I'm just beaming with pride all over the site about It's in my home state. It's pretty cool. So, it's by the way, it's customary for the members of the group that uh, – because we have folks all over the, the – all over the world, actually, all over the, uh, the country, for sure, that are members. And as they tour, it's customary for the members to shoot photos and, and snippet videos and share those live during the show. And I'll be doing that tonight. Sometimes I'll have to – Get my uh, my daughter. My wife won't usually accommodate. My daughter will, though. I have to get me a little selfie with members of the band in the background. <laughs> well, if oh, she's taking man. it, it's not really a selfie, is it? No, I guess not. But it's it's just me and some random person, that being a member of the band. Uh, it's a lot of fun, though. So looking forward to that. A uh, little, little rest uh, for sure. And uh, looking forward to being on the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we got some Mardi Gras parades going on, too, that we're going to be heading to tomorrow oh, night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Hey, so, mister, let me get some beads. That's it. <laughs> you got it, baby. So earlier, you know, this is so ironic how timing just seems to be perfect sometimes in life. But I was talking about... Just this idea that we've discussed so many times on the program. How do we coalesce around complex legislation and policy matters when we can't agree on how many genders there are? So there's a Massachusetts student. This is so crazy. Middle school, I believe, that is fighting uh, the middle school that he attends because... He says it violated his right to free speech by requiring him to stop, to discontinue wearing a T-shirt that said, there are only two genders. So remember what I said earlier, that 
that speech is considered violence? I guess this isn't. They, they deem that as violence. We don't think that's violence. Nobody got hurt. No property got damaged or absconded with. But the fact that you've got that on your on your shirt, that's just considered... You're not playing along with their make-believe la-la land. <laughs> and that's not right. This kid's 13. 13. So he's in court. He's in court in Massachusetts, a court of appeals in Boston. Nichols Middle School in Middleborough, the student alleges, violated his Constitution's First Amendment rights. They censored him when he expressed a view. They're saying opposing its pro-LGBTQ stances. That doesn't even say to me that it opposes it, does it? I mean, the fact that you just happen to have this belief that there are only two genders, and you want to be crazy and think there's more than that, have at it. Wear a T-shirt. Says there's 42 genders. Would the school also ban a shirt that says the sky is blue? <laughs> Probably. Because, remember, it's in, in the liberal ideology, it's subjective relativism. That exceeds, that has more power, that's over objective reality. <laughs> and that's exactly what this is. So, golly. Or maybe a better example would be, if you have kids listening, cover their ears, but if you wore a shirt to school that said Santa's not real. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Gee whiz. Uh, so, now we have a lawsuit about middle school. I really don't see him winning it. Schools have the authority to enforce a dress code, and they'll back up on them. They'll back them up on that. And I agree. And I mean, you have to have, I think, some sort of reasonable um, policies about what you wear when you come to school, or don't. But that doesn't wear. make the school district any less dumb. I, I agree. I mean, I, this is—I don't know. I don't see how this really hurts anybody. But uh, who knows these days? I'm—I stay. I stay confused about it, like Joe Biden, I guess. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News with the final hour of midday. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, it's middays on this Friday, y'all. Mark Levin. <laughs> this is what he said after special counsel's report was released yesterday. Mark Levin. Among other things, Biden's special counsel concluded Biden is an imbecile and a jury would let him off because he's an imbecile. <laughs> pretty much summarized it. It's terrible. It's golly. Man, oh man. 
Oh, geez. I guess that's where we are, though. Another little little uh, nugget of info here, Rhino. You know the View host, Sonny Hostin? She's a huge proponent of reparations. She goes crazy about it all the time. I mean, honestly, she's a racist in the way the race lady is over there at MSNBC. They're kind of cut from the same cloth. I mean, it's, everything's always about race. She has learned that she is descendant of slave owners from Spain. You've seen this. You're shaking your oh, head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now what do you do there, Sonny? And she's very uncomfortable when she's informed of this in this little interview. She doesn't know what to say. Unbelievable. I guess you'll be crossed off the list for those that would receive reparations. But now, every time you rail against slavery, not that anybody that I'm aware of in my lifetime has ever indicated that they condone it, but they run around acting like that's a widespread view of most Americans on the right. Yeah, they want to reinstate slavery. But now, anytime you condemn folks on the right, falsely accusing them of that, you're talking about yourself there, toots. You descend from slave owners. And let's be honest, Rhino, if we traced all of our ancestors, might find a lot without knowing it at this point. And the only reason I say that is because there was a time when this wasn't this was prevalent before there was a United States. That's, oh, yeah. that's the point I'm making. So and it it's not something unique just to the South and the United States, like they want to make you believe it is. It's not. In fact, it could be argued that the set of slavery was ended by the enlightenment of the West. Exactly. The concept of human rights given to you at birth. It's, it's No matter your gender, your race, you, you have inalienable rights. That's a concept that was completely foreign to the world until the West. And it's, um, it's accurate to say this is the only country on the planet that holds that view. In fact, it's embedded, of course, in our Declaration of Independence, the second paragraph. It was um, G.K. Chesterton, English philosopher, Remember when he visited America in 1921, and he just observed American life, and he said, yeah, this is the only country that actually is has its founding and its, and its systems rooted in this creed, that government doesn't confer rights. Government's responsibility is to protect the rights endowed upon us by a creator. And, and, and so to your point, it's that document that ultimately won out without being changed. It required a government essentially to act on it, but that was already in our founding. But the, the left doesn't admit that. They think the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence 
those documents. They're just in the way, right? They're just they're n- nuisances. <laughs> if I could just change that pesky constitution up, I could get everything I want, and leftist utopia would break out. But yeah, that's I thought that was a little fascinating to learn that tidbit. Something else that uh, related to kind of the cultural stuff going on in the country I, I found rather fascinating. You remember us share the story of the UCLA professor? This was back maybe in 2020, 2021, I believe an accounting professor. And his employer, the University of California in Los Angeles, the state of California, yeah, accounting professor, he was essentially ordered by the university to be more lenient in grading and to essentially grant preferential treatment in grading of the work of black students. And he refused to do it. He said, I'm not going to compromise the integrity of my, my classroom. You get the grade you earn. What a novel concept that is. And so... He is demanding in a lawsuit 19 million bucks from the university. This is, by the way, going to trial in March, just a couple of weeks, in Santa Monica, where the university is there. It was uh, first a suit was filed in September 2021, but the UCLA lawyers got the case. They got it tossed on summary judgment. Basically, they argued that, hey, the university says you're going to give preferential treatment to black students in your classroom. And he said, no, I'm not. And they were able to convince the court that he essentially violated university policy and thus he should be dismissed, that he breached his contract. Unbelievable. They maintain, of course... Uh, does uh, the professor and his lawyer that the university breached its contract and that they retaliated against him. Man. And that they interfered with his ability uh, to earn income in the future. That's a big part of that. Of course, you're stained at that point. And nobody wants to touch it, especially in the college community. So dang afraid of the woke mob unleashing on you. So this is uh, it's going to be interesting to watch where this goes. And again, it's just uh, just another another stone, if you will, in that march to mediocrity. I don't know that a lot of people remember that. And and this is not an isolated case. This is going on across the country, folks, where universities, school districts, etc., are demanding. That's the equal outcome versus equal opportunity debate. If, if someone is not able to achieve the same outcome as those who are, let's say, excelling on their own, just based on leveraging the opportunity, well, then we just got to give them something so that they catch up. Well, it's the left's bastardization of the definition of equity. Totally true. And so, in in um, 
in, in that approach, in that strategy, essentially what they're saying is, you just got to give these folks higher grades. Even though they didn't really earn them, because you see the students over here, they're getting ahead of them. Unbelievable that that's even going on in this country. Uh, but it's it's widespread, unfortunately. We shared a story not so long ago where the fifth largest school district in the country, that being Clark County, where Las Vegas is located, they have adopted this new concept known as ungrading. It's just subjective. Oh, you get a B, you get an A, you get a D, whatever they want. It's not based on your actual performance and your work product in the classroom, your tests, your attendance, your homework, etc. All those kind of objective measurements. Nope. Just subjectively, we just either don't issue grades as pass-fail, or we give you grades based on how we feel. You talk about that all the time, right? Feelings drive all these outcomes and all these decisions. Unbelievable. There you go, folks, a little stone in love. Man, I can't wait to hear the Neil Sean and the guitar, that opening riff of that tune. It'll get you fired up, your blood pumping. <laughs> That's happening tonight, 730, Mississippi Coast Coliseum. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Juniker Jewelry Company. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone. It's Middays. We're in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us today. The biggest name in entertainment right now is Taylor Swift, and we're giving you a chance to win tickets to see her in concert, plus money in your pocket. Margarita Resort and Paradise Pier Fun Park in Biloxi, along with Super Top Mississippi, present Taylor Swift and a cash gift. Here's what you get. A pair of tickets to see Taylor Swift's Eras Tour at the Superdome in New Orleans on Saturday, October the 26th, plus a thousand bucks. How can you win? Just enter your name and contact info at one of our registration boxes at select locations across the state. Go to supertalk.fm slash Taylor Swift to find the full list of registration locations and more info. The markets today, the Dow down 65 bucks. The NASDAQ is in positive territory. Microsoft, folks, might set a U.S. market cap record today. Today, right now, based on uh, the stock price, current market value of $3.114 trillion. If that holds, they would 
surpass Apple's market cap record for a single public U.S. company, which was hit uh, last July. They hit the mark of $3.09 trillion. So if Microsoft stock holds on to where it is today or somewhere thereabouts, they shall set a new record. How about that? The uh, This excitement uh, over artificial intelligence and how that's driving certainly these mega, tech, uh, mega cap tech names, it's really something to watch, something to behold. I've got a personal account that I just kind of play with. I got my professionally managed accounts like our good friend Jeremy Nelson, Element Well Studios. They know a whole lot more about this than I do. And like I said, when we interviewed Jeremy Wednesday, they've got access to tools the average stock trader doesn't have, by the way. Uh, but I do have a little account I like to play with and mostly invest in the tech names, the stuff I know. I can report right now. It's at the highest value it's ever been since I've been, and I've not added any money to it in like five years. So, and that's a result of investments in uh, those mega caps, NVIDIA through the roof, Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, all really doing well. I think the scramble at this point is the the proof of concept of large language models and their, their use with artificial intelligence that's in the public eye now. Now the next big step, besides a breakthrough in artificial intelligence and its capabilities, is getting AI into the hands of an everyday average user without having to learn an entirely new syntax, an entirely new way of communicating with a device. And whichever company figures out a way to incorporate artificial intelligence into something they already have or a new product that they can tie into their line, they're going to be the ones that, that take the big leap forward first. I agree. And, and they're going to be the ones that are going to make a killing on the stock market. But I think the reason investors are, are reacting so positively and pouring money into these many of these names we just mentioned is because they do, all do have such efforts underway. So you got Microsoft with their pilot product, for example. Now, one of the things we probably ought to point out, Rhino, is that there, there are kind of two major categories of artificial intelligence. There's what we're sort of used to today, which is called generative AI. And all that really means is that you use the tools to generate new content. You prompt it in some way, and you get um, written statements. You get that sort of content. You it's like you put text. a turbocharger on a search engine. Yeah, you get you get text. You could get video content as well. So there's it's generating new content. That's why they call it generative AI. Then there's this other kind of category of AI which is used to identify and, and detect and uh, react and function much the way a human would. So when you think about the application of of AI in medicines, think about like what a, a typical radiologist does, just in, in reading x-rays and scans and so forth, and you introduce AI into that, and it's been taught how to recognize um, just just different characteristics and features in these human body scans, if you will, and it, it, it provides a, a diagnosis as an example. Could even go further than that and suggest a, a prognosis and a treatment plan. I mean, so... That's just one of a billion examples. And you've got 
uh, technology that that could uh, you be used for facial recognition, as an example. That could be AI driven. It's different than the than the um, kind of a widespread use of generative AI that's even happening today. But heck, even just base, uh, basic transaction business, if you will, accounting systems are starting to incorporate AI into those tools. If you're confused about something and you want some some help, it could be even you're an accountant and you're making journal entries in your systems and you're wanting to know how to treat certain business transactions from the perspective of making those journal entries. You could prompt the tool and give it some information that could say, yeah, you ought to debit this account and credit that account. That's a simplified kind of example, but to your point, that's the way we're going to see it interact and just normal, everyday human activity. Uh, Apple, I think you're going to see them introduce a new phone in the next 18 months or so that's going to be kind of AI-enabled, if you will, that will have some sort of special functionality and features embedded in the hardware and the operating system that will be necessary to power all those apps on your phone that will have AI built into it. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's just... It's just a theory I have at this point. Well, I mean, they're already implementing as much as they can AI in apps and interfaces now. Yeah. But instead of the computation being done on the phone, the data is being sent to a remote place that's doing the computation and then sending back the result, which if you can get the AI computation on the phone, it's just going to speed up that process even more. Because one example of probably the simplest way users interact with artificial intelligence today is if you have a filter on a photo. And I'm not talking about our, our video. I'm not talking about the sepia tone where it just takes colors out of it. I'm talking about something where you are looking at the camera and it's in real time adding something to your face or to your body or to the background. And that's that's the tiniest little bit of AI added to that because it's using AI to match up the template to what is shown in the screen. And they've got a template of a face or a template of a silhouette, and they use AI to match it to what it's seeing. That's the, the entry-level use of AI in consumer electronics that you're seeing now. But, like I was saying, all those computations, and that's why it's a little glitchy, it's got to go back to a remote location and come back to you, which with connectivity and the speeds we have, it's better. It's really quick, but it could even be faster if it was done locally. Yeah, and I agree. So what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to uh, sort of optimize the hardware and the operating system. So in, in system architecture, they'd call that localizing it. To your point, which essentially um, eliminates the need to travel across a network connection, a remote network connection, either wired or wireless. And, and thus the latency associated with that. So to the extent you could localize that, and who knows what that looks like. I mean, Rhino, I can see with the the decrease in the cost of uh, of storage, you could have you know future mobile phones, smartphones that would have just this giant amount of storage, and you may end up just caching or having a lot of the LLMs, the large language models, stored on your phones. And constantly updated to avoid that that latency associated with having to go search the globe, essentially, where the LLMs are, to to process whatever the the AI task is. So that may be coming. Who knows? But, again, the combination of of driving the price down, 
the price point down of uh, super fast local storage and also being able to just include that in such a small footprint, that's all at play here. So I just think it's neat watching this. But right now, it's driving the valuations of lots of companies, such as NVIDIA, who, of course, make the chips that are optimized for AI development and processing. And uh, I think I shared the other day, when we looked at it, it's, uh, okay, today, gosh, dog, it's up 22 bucks. No wonder my count's up. So uh, 718. Wasn't the other day, it was below 700 when I had you look it up, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I think I shared It's up that, 35% in the last month alone. <laughs> and I think I shared that uh, a couple of the analysts have got a $900 target on it, which is just mind-boggling. You got a stocks trading for 718 I mean, going from two bucks to three, I can see that. But seven eighteen to nine hundred, it's up almost seventy percent in the last six months. Somebody made them a little money, didn't they? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Who knew, though? All right, we're coming right back with half an hour of middays. We got some text to get to. We will after these messages. We're in the Element Well Studio. From the SeabrookPaint.com. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines. Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. up for journey tonight that's toto so uh something else to pass on with respect to mr biden's cognitive decline and exhibition yesterday that honestly in his little press conference that confirmed what was reported in the special counsel robert hers report that uh he is an elderly man with a very poor memory and, and lots of other uh, scathing statements about the president. Representative Claudia Tenney, Republican from upstate New York, called on members of the Biden administration to remove, explore removing President Biden under the 25th Amendment. Kind of knew that was coming. So that, by the way, in accordance with the 25th Amendment, requires the cabinet to take such action. They have the power to remove a president under the 25th Amendment if uh, it is determined by the cabinet that the commander-in-chief is unfit to serve. Now, honestly, I don't see that happening. I really don't at this point. But that's something she's calling for, for what it's worth. Of course, he very angrily defended himself in this press conference. And, you know, I start thinking about this. When you got to stand in front of the country and say, I'm just fine, <laughs> pretty much you're trying to explain something that's inexplicable at that point. You're losing. 
the battle. That's what I think that means. But that is exactly what he did yesterday. Oh, I'm just fine. (laughs) Said he's still the most qualified. I think when the deep state, which includes the cabinet and the agency complex, when they decide they've got no more use for him, that's when you'll see some action, true action. I think that's where it'll come from. That's where, from where any sort of of uh, action to replace him as the as the Democrat nominee would come from that deep state who who currently is somewhat served by him. But if they get to the point where they say we don't have any use for this guy anymore, that's when you gotta start worrying. But Representative Claudia Tenney, late last night, announced that um, she believed the cabinet should start exploring the removal of the president immediately. Wow. Incredible. I saw, uh, I got a clip here from CNN earlier this morning. They had uh, former President Clinton's counselor and a CNN political contributor, Paul Begala, on. And here's what he had to say about last night. Oh, yeah. Look, uh, I'm a Biden supporter, I, and I slept like a baby last night. I woke up every two hours crying and went to bed. Uh, this is this is terrible for Democrats, and anybody with a functioning brain knows that. Um, but here's what you do. Instead of calling a press conference saying, I really am sharp, you attack the other guy. You know, the, the, Joe Biden gave the strategy in 2012. He was, I remember he was vice president. And he said, don't compare us to the almighty, compare us mm-hmm. to the alternative. So everything with Biden has to be not, I'm great, but the other guy's really damaging, dangerous, a threat. You know, the, 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 if this is an unlovely. John's exactly right, right? This is going to be a really rough, ugly, unpleasant campaign. <laughs> Duh. Uh, I don't think that's uh, a surprise whatsoever. He also, of course, blamed his staff when he came to the documents. Which, by the way, if you think about it, they've been in a much less secure location for a decade. And the documents, again, it's it's not an excuse. If, if President Trump broke the law, well, then there should be consequences for that. But, but the inconsistent application of it, honestly, is worse than the law that was broken. That, that is more of a threat to functioning society. But, you know, normally when you do something like that, there, there's got to be some, some sort of, of, um, of, I guess, commitment to uh, cause some sort of harm. I mean, there's got to be something that is um, nefarious involved or, I mean, it just just short of just negligence, usually there's got to be some desire to, to cause a problem. I think it's an easy way to say it. I mean, why else would his ghostwriter have deleted all of his audio recordings of conversations with the president if he was not trying to hide the fact that the president shared with him classified information? That's a problem. I, I totally agree. But it, it seems kind of strange, doesn't it? It's odd that you got... The former president and the president both that have these document charges, if you will, or certainly in the case of Biden, it's an investigation. It's not going anywhere, it appears at this point. Uh, but it's got to be some sort of intent. It, it's normally what lawyers would, would tell you, in my experience, that 
It's not just carelessness. And of course, what Biden is saying is, well, that's my staff. They did that. It's another example to me of a very weak leader. It's always pointing fingers at somebody else. You know, the border's not secure because of Donald Trump. The documents are in my Corvette because of my staff. It's just, you get tired of it after a while, honestly. So, I mean, Mar-a-Lago is a far more secure location than Biden's garage. By the way, Biden was the vice president. He can't declassify those documents. The president can. So there's lots of other contrast on those two matters as well. And, you know, he lied, did the president, about the special counsel's report and uh, with respect to breaking the law and, again, pointing fingers at his staff. He's kind of pathological in that respect. We uh, we have exposed a number of falsehoods that the president has told. And I'm sure there's people out there listening saying, what about Donald Trump? What, 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 what? I mean, it's always the whataboutisms. And so, well, I mean, you heard the former counselor for President Clinton. That's their M.O. Yeah. Never admit to a mistake or a problem you have. Attack the other guy. Totally, totally true. Well, you know what's also kind of shocking? I talked about how the press corps was just screaming at him. I mean, it was incredible. It really, really did almost look riotous in nature. But normally, they're kind of comatose. You know, the White House press corps. You don't really see them get too animated. They were all standing up screaming at him, man. Which is Unless you think expect. back to the random Playboy guy that just wanted to be there to scream. <laughs> That's true. He hasn't been around much. With hey, the where's he been? I tell you, the guys that are always, I like the pressmen, the Al Jazeera reporters. You know, they, they're pretty good. And they, honestly, their news is actually pretty good, too. Um, yeah, Elizabeth from Goche says, just blame it on the staff. Chris from Oxford says the special counsel had to say he was too old and couldn't remember because they had to put something out there not to go to a jury, not to proceed and uh, force the president to stand trial. Obviously, they had enough evidence to go after him. That was their only play to indict him. That's what uh, Chris from Oxford said that a, a lawyer he saw on Fox a few minutes ago said. I wonder if someone sent him out there to do that last night, knowing how bad it would be to signal this is near the end, says Mark from Gulfport. I don't think so, Mark, only because I don't think that that helps the Democrat cause overall. I really don't. I think if if they come back and say, okay, look, we got rid of this Biden guy. Here's our new one. I just think, yeah, I think folks are going to say, okay, sure. I, I don't Especially know how they considering they love playing the identity politics game and the only person seemingly waiting in the wings is Gavin Newsom. A straight white male. Yeah. Again, I think anything short of endorsing the vice president, Kamala Harris, a black female, and I know you could say Michelle Obama, but what are you going to do? Say, well, we don't want Kamala. We want we don't want this black female. We want this one. I think that's problematic for him as well. Of course, liberals can't see the problem with Biden. Unless you're the lead Democrat dog of the sled team, the views never change, says Ray in Long Beach. Yeah. Let's see here. Um, something else. Uh, uh, Scott and Clinton sent me the famous Peanuts little comic. 
uh, strip. I stopped believing for a little while this morning. Journey is going to be so pissed when they find out. <laughs> That's uh, who was that? One of the Peanuts characters making that statement. That's his little sister, I think, isn't it? Charlie Brown's little sister. What's her name? Sally. Is that it? That's who it's like, right? There you go. That's the sister's name. Faithfully, one of the best, greatest all time, in some circles considered the greatest love ballad, rock love ballad of all time, 1983, the Frontiers Tour. We'll enjoy that, bumping us out of this segment, coming right back with the final segment on middays today. Stay with us. They're still a... Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, only the young there. Let's see, the last time I think I saw Journey, two years ago, that's the first tune they played in the set list there. They cranked it up with that. Sometimes they will separate ways, which, of course, is the first tune that launches uh, middays at 10.05 a.m. So we'll see what the set list looks like tonight. Looking forward to that. Let's see. Uh, uh, something else that happened yesterday I forgot to pass on was that uh, there was a vote in the U.S. Senate, which you may or may not be aware of, concerning some aid, foreign aid. And uh, that, of course, included Ukraine, Israel, and I think it's a Taiwan. Got yeah. a piece of that as well, right? Senate voted on Let's that. Let's do the same foreign aid that was attached to the border bill. Which failed. So they split that out. And they so instead of just going, all right, we'll take the foreign aid and we'll take the border bill and split them up and we'll vote on the border bills because it's our border. Yep. Nope. We're going to deal with the aid first. We're more concerned about the borders of other nations than we are that of the United States. It appears. So this has been a point of contention within the ranks of the Republican senators. And, of course, this is legislation that, once again, as we explained, uh, have explained so many times, requires 60 votes to end the filibuster. That would mean you got to get enough folks on the other side of the aisle. And enough GOP senators did vote in favor of the measure, 16 Republicans. That then advances the deal. And it was Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell kind of leading that pack. That also included Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker. He voted in favor of the legislation. So did both of, I believe I got that right, both of um, the senators 
from Louisiana. I was a little surprised at that. Both Bill Cassidy and John Kennedy supported this legislation. I only say that because I don't know that there's another state that has two Republican senators where both voted of the 16. John Toon, of course, from South Dakota. Lisa Murkowski, no surprise there. From Alaska, Susan Collins, no surprise there. Of Maine. And I know a lot of people may say, we just need to throw out Murkowski and Collins. And I'm with them. Except, honestly, that's probably the best you could get in those states. That it's either them who kind of vacillate between caucusing with their Republican counterparts and the Senate, the other side of the aisle. Or you could get some dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore blue Democrat from those states. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So if we really want to make a difference, honestly, at the federal government level, and I know there's probably folks out there upset about Senator Wicker's vote. I mean, I know they are. They feel like that he shouldn't have supported this measure. I'm with them. I, I don't think we should have taken this up. I don't think we should have supported it. I wish we would focus more on the border, but of course, it appears that's got no chance of passing. They're just the the votes aren't there, and the Democrats have control of the of the Senate, and the margin in the House is quite small. So the numbers don't work in favor of really getting anything meaningful done on the border. I, I think it's going to continue just as it is until, in as much as there is a change in the White House and in the the uh, control of the House and Senate. In the meantime, I think it stays the same. Now, with the White House, let's suppose President Trump prevails and he replaces uh, Joe Biden in the White House, I think he would immediately reinstate all the various executive orders. So the point is, we got laws right now. You don't need any more laws. We just need somebody that has the, has the will to enforce them at this point. There have even been reports that ICE will decrease the number of deportations if the bill is not taken up in the House. Heard that. So, but that's what happened yesterday. And and so they split out the foreign aid provisions of the border bill, which included foreign aid. And the thought was to make it bipartisan because most Democrats support that. Um, the foreign aid, kind of iffy on the border, although that thing was so convoluted, I don't think half of them could freaking understand it. I had a hard time understanding it. It's 370 pages. Why do we need that to close the border down? We got laws right now. Just go reverse those executive orders that you signed Joe Biden on day one of your presidency, all because you didn't want any leftovers from the Trump presidency to be in place with you in the White House. It's all politically motivated. And boom, here come 8 million people across the border. It's exactly what happened. Folks, we have enjoyed it today. We are out of here now. Back with you on Monday. The Journey Concert tonight. I'll report on that Monday. Have a great weekend. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.